This is Doug Hastings, Vice President of Moody Radio, and we're thankful for support from our listeners and businesses like United Faith Mortgage. Mortgage commercials are rarely exciting. So to make it slightly more interesting, here are my nieces to do it for me. So interest rates continue to drop like my sister's baby teeth. Come on, Uncle Ryan had to say the same thing last year. That's true. Last year, it was rates are boring talk historically low. And now this year, there's somehow even more boring talk historically lower than the previous boring talk historically low. Sounds boring. But for so many listeners who just haven't wanted to deal with it, refinancing right now could save you massive amounts of Lego sets. Rates have gotten that low. Some borrowers could potentially save hundreds monthly and tens and tens of thousands over the life of a loan. And if you didn't put 20% down before, some could even stop having to pay PMI. Give Uncle Ryan a shot. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed Mortgage Banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series of messages Ron Blue presented at Moody Week 1988 on vision, trust, and dependence on God. Ronald Blue was coordinator of the Spanish Doctor of Ministry program and adjunct professor in world missions and intercultural studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. Now, here is Ron Blue on Today in the Word radio. Grab your Bibles and turn to the little book of Jonah. Please find Jonah. Welcome to Texas. This is Texas weather, friends. It's terrible. But it's beautiful here. I mean, you have these trees. It is gorgeous up here. I love to get back to the Midwest. All these tall trees and some rolling hills. Come to Texas sometime. We'll show you what it's like. You can look further in Dallas and see less than any place else in the world. (laughs) These trees on the platform are sort of the things we have down there. When we moved back from Spain, we uh, moved into a house on Timberview Lane, not a tree on the street. I mean, it was was ridiculous. It was an old cotton field they'd cleared. It's terrible. Uh, With these flowers up here, I feel like a blooming idiot, but that's all right. We're going to get into this thing. No, it's just fun to be here. Just a delight. Thank God for every one of you. What a blessing it is. Okay, let's talk to the author before we look at the book. Lord, again, we pause once more this morning to praise you, to glorify you, to thank you for this privilege of being together. We just thank you for the fellowship, the oneness that we feel in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we long for the world around us to know him. Lord, help us to be alert to your leading in our lives. Help us to be used by you like we've never been used before. To touch the world around us. Lord, I thank you for this hour that we can have together centered on your word, and we want to hear your voice. Speak to us, I pray, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever met negative people? You know, everything you suggest, it's always, nah, When I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, as a little kid, we had a guy in the block that was that way. His name was Bruce. We'd say, hey, Bruce, let's play hide-and-go-seek, okay? He'd say, nah. Well, then let's play kick the tin can, all right? Nah. Everything was nah, nah, nah. Of course, guys like Bruce grew up and be members of the board and (laughs) 
few other things like that. No, uh, nah, nah, nah. That's all you ever hear. You've got one here in the Bible. His name is Joe. Joe, nah. <laughs> right here he is. This is the guy. Man, this guy gets to us. I tell you, this is a tough book because I see a lot of myself here. And I just negative, nah, nah, I'm not going to do that. No way. That's really what happens in this book. But I would like to do something different today. I'd like for us to slip through the entire book of Jonah, all four chapters, and we're going to look for three things in each chapter. First, what does Jonah do? Second, what does God do? And third, what should we do as a result of reading that chapter? Declaration of dependence is the theme here in the prophets. We've looked at the major prophet Isaiah, which mean, merely means it's a longer book, and now a minor prophet, which just means it's a little shorter. So we can look at the whole book, and today it's declaration of dependence, not on God's leading as we found it in Isaiah, but here in God's love, and we'll find that as we move through the book. So first of all, here we go, chapter 1. What does Jonah do? Well, the word of the Lord, and as I said in my prayer, we want to hear God's voice, and that's why what counts is on this desk. Let's hear what God has to say. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah. He's running from the Lord. What does Jonah do in the first chapter? Jonah runs. You know, this is an amazing thing to me. This is a reluctant missionary. But he's willing to go, I want you to realize it. In fact, he's willing to pay his own fare. But he's running from the presence of the Lord. Can you picture this scene? By the way, he's mentioned in one other place in the Bible. If you have a marginal note, you can see it there, 2 Kings 14.25. Don't turn to it, but I'll tell you, in that passage, and we know it's the same Jonah, because it says, Jonah, the son of Amittai. It's the same Jonah he's mentioned once before, and it tells us there where he's from, and it also states that he is a prophet. He's a preacher. You'd think of all people, he would be responsive to the Lord. No way. But it tells where he's from. It's sort of like my hometown, and it's been fun here. I tell you, there are actually people here from the Russell, Iowa area. Can you believe it? They actually know where Russell, Iowa is. It's incredible. Well, poor Jonah's from a place very much like that. He's from Gat Effer. Who ever heard of Gat Effer? But if you take the atlas out, Bible atlas, you can find it. Let's put it on my map up here. Here's Gat Effer. Do you see it? God says, get up, go to Nineveh, which is right up here, and cry against the wickedness that has come before me. But Jonah gets up and heads to Joppa exactly 180 degrees out of phase. He's going the opposite direction. He gets down there, finds a ship, going to Tarshish, which was literally the end of the world. And I can see him down there. He's asking, how much is the fare again? Oh, just happened to have the right amount of money. Must be the will of God. <laughs> now, he knows he's running from God. Now, what does God do? 
Oh, we have a wonderful God. God chastens. Aren't you glad he does? He doesn't just let us take off and go on. He loves us. He cares for us. Let's look at it. Verse 4. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm in the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. The sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. They threw the cargo which was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship, laying down, fallen, sound asleep. You know that verse, I fear, is a picture of the world today. The Hindus, the Muslim people, the Buddhists are praying to their gods. Let me tell you, friends, the Islamic people are a very religious people. They're fanatical for Allah. Five times a day, they pray. And it isn't just a little routine, actually. If you've ever been around an Islamic country, the sound goes forth from the mosque. Everything stops, and they literally prostrate themselves to the ground facing Mecca. I was really disturbed when I talked to a guy right there in Arlington, Texas, where I live. He's going to the university, and we have a lot of these folks here in this country. I hope we realize that the world has come to us. And I found out this guy was from Iran, much in the news today. And, of course, I was very interested in talking with him. And I asked him in our conversation, I said, do you know any Christians? Oh, he said, yeah, I've met a few. I said, uh, well, what do you think about Christians? Oh, he said, yeah, they're the people that don't pray. Boy, that hurt. Well, in the first place, he doesn't realize we do pray. He doesn't see us pray the way they pray. He also told me, he said, that uh, you Christians believe in, uh, in three gods. I said, no, no, we don't believe in three gods, one God. No, you believe in three gods. You believe in God the Father, Mary, and the illegitimate son, Jesus Christ. That's what he had been taught. Oh, what a privilege it was to straighten him out on that one, to help him realize what we do believe. But here these crusty old sailors are crying out to their gods. And what's Jonah doing? The man of God is? I don't want to pour it on to you, friends, but I, I am fearful that we've lost the dynamic, the deep dynamic of prayer. Now, we do pray. There's not a person in this auditorium who doesn't do it. But a corporate prayer has sort of slipped by the, the sideline. I have really appreciated our times over here in this little chapel to jointly. And it's, it's, a, it's a fun time, I think. I just love to get together with other brethren and cry out before God. And we've been praying for rain, and I believe it. I'm already rejoicing. I believe with all my heart. Before next Sunday comes, you're going to see it. I believe it. I think God's going to answer. I think it's coming. You watch. See if I'm a prophet or not. Huh? <laughs> Now, we need to pray. Did you ever notice that the hard letter in any language is the R? Do you ever notice that? If you know a little German, it's way down here on the chest. Ja, das gut. You have to be able to spit, I think, to speak German or something. Way down in here. In French, it's sort of up here in the throat, too. You know, you say, You kiss to speak French, I think. In English, it's in here, too. It's way down in the throat. Do you ever notice that? In Spanish, it finally arrives where it's supposed to be, in the mouth. Eri, eri, eri. Ferrocarril, right there. <laughs> but have you ever been around Oriental people? 
Where's the R? It's gone. <laughs> there is no R. And if they say the word pray here, so they, oh, yes, we play. We play very hard. We play. <laughs> Sometimes I think that's what we're doing. We need to pray. Well, he's not praying. The sailors are. You know what happens. I'm not going to read the whole story because you know the story. This is a fairly familiar story. Captain gets down there, finds him asleep, and says, get up and pray to your God, too. What are you doing down here? They haul him up on deck. You know what happens. They find out he's the culprit for the whole thing. And finally, they say, what do we have to do? He says, throw me overboard. Now, they didn't do that. Please notice that. Look at verse 12. He said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, and I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. I like that confession. He admits it. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, we earnestly pray. Now, please notice something here. You may miss it. They called to the Lord. They called to Jehovah. And they said, we earnestly pray, O Jehovah, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For thou, O Jehovah, hast done as thou hast pleased. I believe that those sailors were converted through this Jonah's lousy testimony. It was God who demonstrated himself so mightily they couldn't resist. They called out to Jehovah. But then they did what Jonah said. Last resort. And I don't know what you do when you read sections like this, but I like to take the uh, form of a motion picture producer. I'd like to suggest that to you as you read narrative passages. Sort of think in your mind, what would you do to make this thing live on a screen? And then put yourself in the motion picture to really make it live. You got the wind blowing, you know, and people on this ship, and it's bouncing all around. Wouldn't it be fun? And in this case, I'd rather not be Jonah. I think I use someone else for that. I'll be one of the guys here. One down there. Here I am here. Jonah between the two of us. One, two, three. And the sea is calm. Jonah runs. God chastens. Now, what should we learn from this chapter? Well, the lesson that I see is that we must, we must find our place of service in this world. And it should be in tune with God's purpose. I believe that God wants to use every single one of us in witness in the world around us. You know, I'm envious of many of you. Uh, when we're in a professional ministry, people are a little skeptical, a little hesitant. You are in the flow of life. Sometimes I see it this way. Here's the river of life. And many times those of us who are in professional ministry are off on the bank watching this thing go. You are in that stream, rubbing shoulders with people who desperately need to know the Lord. I've tried to evangelize on the, on the campus of Dallas Seminary. They're all saved. A whole bunch in that campus know the Lord. The places I find them are on planes as I travel from one spot to another. And it's fun to talk to people about the Lord. But you're in that flow, and God wants to use you. God's will is that. I appreciated what was said about God's will. You know, we're always looking for God's will. Could I suggest something? We need to live in God's will, not look for it. If you haven't memorized the verses you really ought to, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that is the revealed will of God. I beg of you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, 
acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable of the New American Standard, says spiritual service of worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may literally, it says, approve what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's it. I picture it in three steps. I beg of you, therefore, brethren, it is God's will that we are saved. That you present your bodies. I call that submission, surrender to the Lord. Salvation, submission. And Romans 12, 2, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. I call that separation. That's not the length of hair or the length of the skirts. That means the world system. We're not going to follow the world system. We're different, distinct, unique. <laughs> so salvation, submission, separation from the world system. If I'm on that top step, I am in the will of God. And this thing we're calling the will of God is the natural and inevitable result of being in the real will of God. Can I run that by again? <laughs> if I'm on the top step, I'm in the will of God. I'm saved, submitted to the Lord, separated from the world system. And the thing we're calling the will of God out here someplace is the natural and inevitable result of being in the real will of God. So I say, let's live in the will of God, not look for it, live there today. I want to be there. Don't you? That's why early this morning I had my prayer list out. First thing on the list, you remember what it was? Renewed submission. Get on that step. And then watch God work. Friends, all of us are involved in this process to reach the world. All of us. And we need to find that place. All right, we hustle. Jonah runs. Now, what is he doing in chapter 2? Everybody knows. You tell me. What's he doing in chapter 2? First of all, where is he? The great fish. You've got it. Boy, you're a smart bunch, I tell you. Doesn't say whale. We don't know. It might have been, but he's in the great fish. And great fish swallows him up. Now he's doing what in that great fish? Praying. Oh, isn't that the way it works? Boy, we hit the dead end on this thing. And then, then we turn to the Lord. And that's why we need tribulation sometimes, to turn us to the Lord. I thank God for the, for the drought. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? But it's really driven me to pray harder. I don't know about you, hasn't it? See, that's the advantage. There's an advantage. There's an upside on what seems to be down. Well, it says here, then, then, I like that the way it starts. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish. And we don't have time to read through all this prayer. Tremendous prayer. I like what old J. Vernon McGee says. He, he's got a little book called Dead or Alive. He believes Jonah died here and was risen from the dead. Could well be because the Hebrew imagery here sounds very much like death. He might have died, which would make the illustration of Jonah even more effective for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. See the point? Whether he's dead or alive, I don't know. One thing I know is what happened. Look at the last statement he makes in his prayer. Verse 9, but he says, I will sacrifice to thee with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. And when he said that, what did God do? God cleanses. We confess, he cleanses. Now look at the next verse, verse 10. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it, this is pretty vivid. I want you to see this. I would, I would never have put this in the Bible. I'd put, burp them up on the beach or something. <laughs> it vomited. 
Jonah up onto the dry land. Jonah prays. God cleanses. What must we do? We must pray for the needs of the world. Now I'm going to plead with you again. If I don't get anything else across, I hope somehow that in my life, I'm not here just to say to you, let's do it. I say to myself, let's have a new concentrated effort to renew within our churches, within our lives, within this country, the dependence on the Lord in prayer. When I was in the Navy, after I got off of that old destroyer, they sent me to shore duty in Clarksville, Tennessee. I wondered, what in the world is the Navy doing in Clarksville, Tennessee? It's a top secret base. And I mean it's secure. There's a fence, then there's a road. Marines patrol it 24 hours a day. Then there's another fence. Then there's another fence. You touch that one, you're dead. And then there's another fence. And that leads you into the uh, administrative area. The really top secret section is down in what we used to call the pit. And only motor pool cars can go down there, and everyone gets out except the driver's frisk. They have to make sure you have the identification. It's very secure. And I used to stand watch down there when I finally was cleared. So I'd stand watch, and before I'd go on watch, the man who had been on watch before me would pull from the safe a card and uncover one top secret word. Would you like to hear a top secret word? Rabbit's foot. <laughs> Scarecrow. I mean, stupid words. But for 24 hours, that was top secret because they had a red telephone down there. If we had any kind of problem, that red telephone had a direct line to the Pentagon. But you had to know the secret word to be identified. I used to sit down there and look at that red telephone just long to pick it up and see if there's really somebody on the other end. <laughs> I never used that crazy thing. But I used to sit and look at that and think, you know, I have a red telephone. Direct line to the creator of the universe. And there is a secret word in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's not a tack on at the end of the prayer. Sometimes we hear, I'm about to finish my prayer when we hear that. No, it's in the Lord Jesus Christ that we can come into his presence. But direct line. And as I said before, we never get on hold. There's never a busy signal. Never a recording. Always available. Friends, we've got to use that more. Let's pray. All right, chapter 3. Chapter 1, Jonah runs. Chapter 2, Jonah prays. Chapter 3, what does Jonah do? I love this. We're right back at square one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. Now this time it's not but, it's so. Oh, listen, that's what we have to have. None of this but business. It's so. I have a very good friend that uh, I knew so well. In fact, we double-dated early in our experience. And uh, the one we double-dated now is my little wifey, and the one that he had is his wifey. And uh, so he's, he's just really close. He called me one time, though, and said, you know, he said, uh, I'm going to have to split with my wife. And I was really shaken. He was calling long distance on his money, of course. 
And, uh, but we talked at length. I said, wait a minute, you can't do that. That's just, it's not going to work. The Bible says, and he interrupted. He says, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but. And he went on. That's not the way it works. You know, I was so thrilled, though. I just rejoiced. I just thank God for that couple. After 40 minutes of talking, uh, I didn't know what would happen, but they're still together. I just rejoice. That's not easy, granted, but I, you know, I, I appreciate the power of the Word of God to penetrate. So he shifted his butt to the soul, and that's what we have to do. We can't say, I know what the Bible says, but we say, I know what the Bible says, therefore. And that's what he does finally. Here he goes. So Jonah rose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. And Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Nice message, huh? How to win friends and influence people. He says, this city is going down the tubes. That was the message God gave him. Did you happen to notice when we went into Isaiah, I stopped where we all stop as preachers? Here am I, send me. Did you ever happen to read on to see what the message Isaiah had? It was condemnation. And that's what this is. Jonah preaches. That's what he's doing here. He's preaching. And I think we may need a little more of this preaching to say sin is sin. It's not a mistake. It's sin. I learned this. I learned this from Raimundo Galan, the guy I mentioned who held his Bible up, remember, said, I'm hidden in Christ. That guy was a tremendous witness from the Lord for the Lord for the, for the minute he came to know Christ. And uh, I remember the night when it happened. I, I was at, at our dinner table, and you eat late in Spain. It was 10 o'clock at night. And uh, one of the new converts, one of the ladies of the church called me. It was Doña Juana. And she said, Don Ronaldo. She says, uh, Mariano's here in our apartment. She says, you know, the one we've been praying for. Oh, I said, yeah. She said, the one with marital problems. Oh, I said, yeah. She said, uh, could you come over and talk to him? I said, sure. I'll be right over. Pushed the dessert back, got into the car, went by Raimundo Galan's house. And I said, Raimundo, I think we have some work to do. Can you come along? He said, sure. He hopped in the car and off we went. Great big guy, Raimundo is. So we walked into Doña Juana's apartment. And as soon as we came through the door... This Mariano began unloading his story. He said, my wife's going to leave me tomorrow. So I didn't know what to do. I went over to talk to the priest, and he got me down in front of a crucifix. And then he left me. He says, I was there. I thought, maybe Doña Juana could help me. There's the testimony. Got it? There's the witness. So he went over. He says, look it. She's going to leave me tomorrow. I can't prove it, but I think she's been out with other men. And on he went. He finally said, un momento. He said, wait a minute. I used to do that. Excuse myself. Blame everybody else. No. Usted es un pecador. You're a sinner. Wow. I had learned God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. You're a sinner. That's exactly what the guy needed. We sat down, probed. He'd been out with other women at his wife's suggestion. It was a mess. And I said, look at Mariano. There are no easy solutions, but we do know where you need to start. You need a new life. You need life in Christ. We explained the gospel and tried to answer his questions, and late at night, I finally said, well, what about it, Mariano? Are you ready to put your trust in Christ? He said, si, quisiera ser, I'd like to do that. 
Well, I said, I don't know how you pray. Sometimes I pray seated, sometimes standing, sometimes kneeling. He says, we usually kneel. I said, good, let's kneel. So we knelt down. And I said, Mariano, you know how to pray. He said, orar, no. Rezar, si. I know how to say prayers. I don't know how to pray. <laughs> well, I said, maybe this will help you. I'll say a sentence, and if you can say it from your heart before God, repeat it. But if you can't, just be silent, and I'll know you can't say it. He said, bien, good. So I started. I said, oh, Dios. He repeated, oh, God. And I said, reconozco que soy un pecador. I realize that I'm a sinner. He repeated that, and he went right on. He said, oh, Dios, oh, Dios, perdóname. Oh, God, forgive me. And he wept like a baby. Guy's life was transformed. Through the love of a guy who was willing to say, you're a sinner. Now, I'm not proposing that we run out on the streets and point our finger, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. That's not my point. But people need to hear that sin is sin. Good old H.A. Ironside had it done. Read it in one of his books. He said, you can't get a person saved until you get them lost. That's our problem today. People don't think they're lost. Jonah was given a message of God of condemnation. What happened? Oh, you know the story. Then, verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed in God. They called a fast, put on sackcloth, of the greatest to the least of them. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. And he issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. Both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we shall not perish. And when God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way, God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. That's the character of God. God doesn't change. He's changeless. But he says, if man repents, I will forgive. Jonah preaches, God converts. God converts. He does the work. And what a revival in that city. People from the top to the bottom come to the Lord. Now, what should we do? What should we do? We must proclaim the good news to the world. We must proclaim the gospel to the world. Now that's all of us. We're all witnesses. All of us. And I think we need to chatter the gospel more. And as I said, the place I find them are on airplanes. That's where I find the pagans. I usually don't find them in a conference like this. Occasionally we'll run across a person who doesn't know the Lord, but most of the time it's believers who gather together. In my church it's that way. At Dallas Seminary it's that way. But on those planes, and I love to talk to people on planes about the Lord. They're strapped in. They can't get away from you. You got them for the whole flight. They're right there. And I love to use this illustration because I think it'll help. I, I, you often ask, how do you get started with people you don't know too well? Oh, it's easy. Use my little formula, F-O-R-M. It works. I like to use this illustration. Here's this guy coming back from San Francisco on the plane. He's on this side. 
and I didn't see a, a ring, to start with my first question, family. Since I didn't see a wedding ring, I asked him in the F-O-R-M family, I said, uh, are you married? He said, no, but I'm living with a gal. I didn't say, oh my land, that's terrible, you don't do that. <laughs> no, I moved to my next question, F-O. <laughs> what about your occupation? He told me about his work. He's a zero beach budget advisor and he'd been in a town in Texas two-week job and his company, he said, let him fly anywhere he wanted to on a weekend like that up to the limits of his home, which was Connecticut. He said, I've never been to San Francisco. Company pays for it. He says, I thought I'd just come out here. And I thought to myself, yeah, to be on this plane with me coming back. <laughs> but I didn't say that. I just thought that. F-O, family, occupation. Third question, religious background. And you don't breathe hard on that one say, do you have a religion? No, you ask it like the other questions. I said, what's your religious background? He didn't hesitate. He said, I'm Jewish background. The gal I'm living with is Roman Catholic background. And he looked me right in the eye. He says, as far as I'm concerned, everything I've seen of religion is a ripoff. I said, well, you may be right. And who am I to talk to you about religion? I would like to talk to you about a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. F-O-R-M, the message. We're there. We're sliding in the home. So I pulled the barf bag out, started drawing the bridge illustration, and we took off. And it often happens this way. He wasn't too interested. And I had a book to read. I had some papers to grade. So I thought to myself, well, I guess I'll just let him have it. I learned it from Raimundo Galan. I said to him, say, do you know what God says about living with a gal the way you are? No. I said, God says that's sin. That's fornication. Nobody's ever talked to me like that. I said, don't look at me. I'm not the one that says it. God says that. <laughs> and that's true. That's not our judgment. That's God's judgment. Well, I wanted to read my book. He wanted to talk. And for two and a half hours, we talked about the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the funniest part on this one was as the, as the plane was making its approach to the Dallas-Fort Worth airport, he turned to me and said, say, do you perform wedding ceremonies? <laughs> It's fun to talk to people about the Lord. Let's do it. Fourth chapter. Why in the world is this chapter here? If you're going to have a fourth chapter, let's have a follow-through campaign, discipleship groups. Why in the world would you have this one here? Jonah pouts. Jonah runs. Jonah prays. Jonah preaches. Now Jonah pouts. He says, he's praying, but he's pouting. Verse 2, greatly displeased, Jonah. Became angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, wasn't this what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, take my life from me. Kill me, God. Well, you know the story. He went out there on the hillside, sits out there and gets hot, just like today. I picture him as a bald man. Makes me feel better. <laughs> He's out there, hot sun, and then God in his grace provides some shade. Remember that? Oh, Jonah's relaxing a little bit. And then God prepares a little worm. Zap. Shade's gone. And the second time in the book, look at verse 8. 
It came about when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and sun beat down on Jonah's head, so that he became faint, and he begged with all his soul to die. Death is better to me than life. Second time in this chapter, he says, kill me, God. Jonah pounce. What does God do? Oh, the point of the whole book is found in these closing verses. Did you know that? That's why the fourth chapter is here. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Jonah says, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work. You did not cause to grow, came up overnight, perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand? And if that's children, it's a city of about 600 to 700,000 people. And he adds, as well as the animals. Do you know what the point of this book is? God cares. God cares. His love, his compassion is for the people, the animals of this universe, but primarily those people who are perishing. Do we care? See, there's the lesson. What about us? Chapter 4. We have to care about a dying and lost world. Someone has said, Mission starts in your own backyard. Wrong. That's too far away. Mission starts in the heart. God's compassion for a lost world. Lord, again, I thank you for this book. And I confess before you honestly and openly, there's too much of Jonah in me. Lord, help us. Help me, help all of us to have a deepening love, a deepening compassion, a deepening care for a world that's lost and without hope apart from our Lord Jesus Christ. Use us, O oh God, as we penetrate the world, as we leave this week in a few days, that in our context, people can see Christ and be brought to him for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message titled Dependence on God's Love that Ron Blue delivered at Moody Week 1988. Ronald Blue was coordinator of the Spanish Doctor of Ministry program and adjunct professor in world missions and intercultural studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. We invite you to join us again next week as we bring you Donald Hubbard's five-part series from Moody Keswick Bible Conference 1984. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.